0: Without any doubt whatsoever, God has blessed America. 239 years ago, our forefathers, with Bibles in hand and faith in God, established our country. And yesterday, this time of year, many of us have celebrated the birth of our nation. In a secular way, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there is a great amount to be appreciated by a nation that has allowed people to be able to gather together to worship God without any interference of man whatsoever. But with the events that have taken place recently, as Friday a week ago, our Supreme Court of the United States ruled that gay marriage was now legal and acceptable And if they follow Canada in doing what they have done, they will suggest that if you and I preach the Bible, that we are somehow involved in hate speech with regards to this. And so I think it is appropriate to ask the question, will God in the future bless America? In fact, I would like to ask, is it appropriate at this time for us to pray for the good of our nation? You may think that that is an anti-patriotic stance. But I want you to know that according to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we are members of the Lord's kingdom first And we are whatever nationality we are second. In Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 14 and then chapter 14 and verse 11. God said to Jeremiah, so do not pray for this people. Or lift up cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. Chapter 14, verse 11. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people for their good. I realize those are shocking words. The children of Israel had gotten to such a point that God had said, Jeremiah, no longer should you be praying for the good of this people. I ask you the question, is it appropriate, is it right for us to be praying for the good of our country? Let me ask you another question. As David wrote in Psalm chapter 11 and verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be the kind of person God wants me to be. And if I do that, will I ask God to bless America? Rather than me trying to answer that question directly, here's what I would like to do. I'd like, first first of all, to talk about some examples from the past We're going to open our Bibles and we're going to look at the nations as they stood before the God of heaven and how God interacted with and how God dealt with them. Number two, I want to talk about some evidences from the present. Who are we? What are we? What direction are we going to follow? And then number three, I want to talk about encouraging penitence. Let's begin first of all with learning from the past. Is there anything that I can find in the scriptures that will give me some direction about asking the question, "Will God bless America? Well, I want to go back and if you will open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter six, we're going to look at verses five and twelve and then second Peter two and verse five and These scriptures will present to us the present condition of the people at that time. And Moses records that the wickedness, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Dropping down to verse 12. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. You see, God had a plan for man. He wanted man to succeed. And yet man had taken God's directions and corrupted them. When I get to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Peter says that God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. Here's what I can learn from this. Number one, I can learn that God has a plan that He wants man to follow. When man rejects that and corrupts God's plan, then God Desires judgment to fall upon man. I do recognize that God will preserve the righteous like he did Noah and Noah's family. But I do recognize that there's got to be some preaching of righteousness that takes place. Let's move a little further. Let's go to Genesis chapter 18. I cannot fully look at everything in Genesis 18, but some... Scattered verses from verses 22 through 33, and then we'll look at chapter 19 for just a moment. Let's look at verses 25 and 26, and then verse 32. Abraham had interceded on behalf of the cities of the plains. And he had asked God not to destroy them. In fact, here's the way that Abraham reasons with God. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you shall the judge of all the earth do right. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the place for their sakes. Now, we all know that Abraham began a bargain with God. Well, what about 45? What about 40? And then when you get to verse 32, then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, but once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. Folks, here's what I learned from this. God will destroy sinful cities. God will destroy sinful nations. And yet God does right. God looks and He sees righteous people within it. Is there a magic number or even is there a number in which God will say that when this number of people are no longer found in the United States that are righteous, then I will let that country fall. I don't know. Scripture does not reveal that. But let me tell you something. I do know that when a nation becomes so wicked, so corrupt, God will cause their fall. When you go to chapter 19, if you look at verses 24 and 25, then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So He overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants, And on what grew on the ground. Now when I go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. Peter summarizes it like this. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemned them to destruction. Making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Folks I want you to underline that in your Bible and put a star by it. This is an example to our nation today that if people are not going to live right, you can expect God's judgment. For just a moment, I'd like to talk to you about Babylon. There's many other passages between the book of Genesis and the book of the prophets, particularly Daniel and Habakkuk. But I want to talk to you for just a moment about Babylon If you'll remember in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 6, Habakkuk was really concerned about the wickedness of God's people. And basically he was looking to God, and I'm going to paraphrase, God, why don't you do something about our people? They have become so wicked. Why don't you do something? And God said, I am going to do something, Habakkuk. He tells him in verse 6, For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and a hasty nation who marches through the breadth of the earth to possess a dwelling that is not theirs. God's saying, I'm raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. They're going to do my job. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21... When interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel said, and he changes the times and seasons and removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel is saying God is in control. Folks, I'm afraid that we have this idea that somehow we are in control. Our leaders sometimes have this delusion that they are in control. But God controls this world. It's His. It belongs to Him. And He will direct it as He sees fit. Now, I do recognize that the book of Daniel shows us plainly that God protects those who trust Him Let me just give you two examples. If you go to chapter 3 with me, let's pick up in verse 16. You'll remember that Nebuchadnezzar had set up this great image. And he had commanded that when all of these instruments sound, that everybody's supposed to bow down and worship before this great image, giving honor to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel records, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, this, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery burning furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image that you have set up. And you know what happened. That made Nebuchadnezzar so mad he fired that furnace up seven times as hot, had the men thrown in there, but even the men who were leading them in there ended up losing their lives. But not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothes was not scorched. God protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they stood strong for what was right. If you go over with me to Daniel chapter 6, another situation arises when the Medes and the Persians take over. The enemies of Daniel had a law passed so that no one could pray. And Daniel went and prayed like he had always done. He had been thrown into the lion's den. The king hated this to happen, but he came and asked. The next morning when Daniel was there, he says, My God sent His angel and shut the mouths of the lion, so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before Him. And also, O King, I have done no wrong before you. Let me tell you that when you start looking at the Babylonians, God takes care of His people, those who are trying to do right. But you see... What God does do is those leaders who have such an elevated view of themselves is we are the ones in power. We are the ones who are in control. God has a way of humbling them. I want you to look with me, first of all, at chapter 4. We can't, again, look at the whole details of verses 24 through 27, but I would suggest to you there's a lot there. Nebuchadnezzar was walking in his beautiful gardens and he was looking and said, look what all I have made for myself. Look what all my hands have devised. And Daniel is trying to help Nebuchadnezzar to see himself properly. And he says, as inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you and after you shall come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O kings, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there shall be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel is saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to change your heart and realize heaven rules. You don't. And if you want to lengthen prosperity, you want God to bless you in the future, you've got to change your heart. Drop down to verse 37. After Nebuchadnezzar had gone out and eaten grass like a cow and grown claws like eagles and and become like an animal, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, all of whose works are truth and His ways justice and those who walk in pride He's able to put down. I want you to fast forward with me now to chapter 5. And you have the son of Nebuchadnezzar reigning on the throne, Belshazzar. To speed this up a little bit, let me just quickly tell you what's going on. They're all having a drunken orgy party there. and They're drinking wine and they're, all his concubines and his wives are there and they're praising the gods of gold, silver, stone, wood. They're just, you know, anything. And they're drinking out of vessels taken out of the Lord's house. And what Daniel does is remind him in verses 20 through 21, you know what? Your father saw this. Verse 22, "...but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. And you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house to you. And you and your lord, your wives, your concubines, have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see nor know. And the God who holds your breath in his hands and owns all your ways you have not glorified, God holds your breath in His hands. The leaders of our nations need to realize God holds their breath in His hands. I would love to spend a lot of time in the book of Judges, Time will not permit me to do that. I will just summarize it for you. They cried out when things were bad, wanting God. Do you remember 9 11, 2001, when the Twin Towers fell in New York City due to terrorists? There was a tremendous amount of patriotism, but there was also a resurgence, a fervor of religion. Attendance shot up in churches. You know why? People recognized we didn't have control of our destiny. And yet, just a few years later now, everything appears to be doing good again. People are making money. Things appear to go all right. When they did well, when things went good, they said, we don't need God. In Judges 21 and verse 25, he said, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's exactly what is happening today. And what we learn from David is that rulers have to see themselves as who they are, standing before the Almighty. David wrote in Psalm 9 and verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let men prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Psalm 79, verse 6. Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on kingdoms that do not call on your name. When a nation says, we reject God, David said, it's time for them to be punished. Now, I think I have established the point that the examples of the past prove that God does judge the nations. Now, folks, be honest. Where are we today? We're living in a postmodern world, one that does not believe in absolute truth, that says there's nothing that is moral or immoral, nothing that is right or wrong. Society has become so secular that it's rejected bringing God into the picture. When we appear before the board of mayor and aldermen, you have to argue not on the basis of this is what God's word says. You have to say, look what it will do to the community. Maybe we've approached it the wrong way. Maybe we should have been going out there and taking our Bibles and holding up and saying to them, Proverbs 22 and verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drinker, broiler, and whoever errs thereby is not wise. There has been the sexual expression in our society, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, polygamy, bestiality, incest. All these have become things that the world is saying, well, it just depends what kind of situation you're in. Drug abuse, alcohol, marijuana, getting stoned has become a part of our society and our Government officials wanting to turn their heads away and say, it's no big deal. And then people will say, how dare you judge? The phrase, how dare you judge, says, you can't determine what's right and wrong for me. For me. That's the postmodern mind. There's been several milestones in recent years. And the Bible has been all but read from our public schools. In 1963, in the case of the school district of Abington versus Shemp, it made the corporate reading of the Bible and the recitation of the Lord's Prayer unlawful. I'd suggest to you that's a milestone in our country. That's when children no longer were able to hear the Bible read, all the children. In Lee v. Weissman in 1992, they ruled that all prayers led at graduation services were unlawful. In fact, I led the last prayer that was led before the Warren County school system. And That's not something that's to be proud of. Well, some people would say, but you have to understand, the courts, you know, Brother Jones last Sunday night made the pact, He says, but you have to realize that kids can still pray in school, but there just can't be a public prayer. Kids can't, they can still read their Bibles, but they can't be a public reading. Well, let me point out to you the facts. Last year, a boy in the school district in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, was not allowed to read the Bible as a part of his accelerated reader program, even though it was supposed to be on the approved list. Or a child in Bucher Middle School in Marshall, Missouri was told by his teacher that he couldn't read the book after he brought the Bible and was going to silently study it during his free time. You see, you can bring a pornographic magazine in and the teacher can't say a word, but you bring a Bible in and now it is somehow wrong. I know I may get some criticism on this, but in the 1990 or 2012 Democratic Convention, they had left all references to God out of their platform. It was decided they probably should put some of it back in, and so they made a proposal from the floor to include God in some of their language. I listened to it. The crowd booed when God was supposed to be put into that language. Now, folks, I'm not partisan, but our country is in a mess. In 1973, Roe v. Wade was made abortion on demand legal. Since that time to the end of 2013, 56,662,169 precious little babies have been murdered. The courts have rejected any attempts to try to by the states to regulate it. You can even see it that's just taken place this past week here among us. And here's something that Justice Scalia stated, and he's recognizing what exists. He says they have changed to a living Constitution that reflects evolving standards of decency. You see, our country really doesn't know what's right and wrong anymore. Now, I could talk to you about the legalization of marijuana in the states. I could talk to you about how people are happy with these morals. Jeremiah 5, verse 31, The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. If I were to ask how many people would vote for liquor by the drink among our people, how many people would vote to make it easier to get alcohol, or to have marijuana. I think it might surprise some of you. Nothing appears to embarrass us anymore. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Is there anything today in our country that is not somehow okay Very briefly now, I want to talk to you about encouraging penitence. How does this affect you? How do you feel about this? I want you to go with me to the book of Ezekiel, to chapter 9, and I want to look at verses 4 through 6. You see, God, through Ezekiel, used a number of illustrations, if you will, a number of visual images. And what he's trying to do here is he's talking about people who are going astray and doing wrong things. And he says, and the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations done within it. To the others, he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill and do not let your eyes spare. Nor have any pity. Utterly slay old men and young men, maidens, little children, women, but do not come near anyone who ha- upon whom has the mark. And began at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. God said, I want you to mark the people who care. The people who sigh." the people who are sad that this is happening. Listen as we read about Lot in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He said, He delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented, the older translation say, vexed his righteous soul from day to day, Folks, I'm going to tell you how I feel about all of this. It disgusts me. It discourages me. It depresses me when I think about many of the directions that are being taken within our country. But you see, the only solution is to gain God's favor by pursuing penitence, to have a penitent heart. And you say, well, that's their problem. No, it's we must bear some of the responsibility because we have either not been the kind of salt and light we ought to have been. You know what Jesus said? That the salt, if it loses its flavor, is good forth but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You don't put a bushel basket on top of a, a lamp. We're supposed to be a light. And we've not been passage that was read to us by brother robert earlier if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven forgive their sin and heal their land jeremiah 50 verses 4 and 5 in those days and at that time says the lord the god the children of israel will come they will come And the children of Judah together with continual weeping, they shall come and seek the Lord their God. You see, you've got to come to God with a penitent heart. That means we've got to learn to elect godly leaders. We've got to quit making our decisions on the basis of our pocketbooks. We've got to (coughs) quit making our decisions on the basis of what my mom and daddy did. We've got to make our decisions on the basis of what God wants us to do. And David said in 2 Samuel chapter 23, beginning with verse 1, These are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. If there's nothing else that gets your attention, that ought to. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. We need men who fear God and respect him to be our leaders. Proverbs 29 two. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Will God bless America? I believe if we don't change, our doom is certain. But I do know, according to Jeremiah 18, beginning with verse 7 and going through verse 12, He will say, What did I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull it down, to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. God said, It all really depends on what the people do. And we've got to be preachers of righteousness. We want to save our country, we've got to save souls. Jesus put it so simply, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But somebody says, but they won't listen. You're speaking on deaf ears. They won't listen to you. And Ezekiel 2 verse 7 You shall speak my words to them whether they hear or whether they refuse. They are rebellious. Whether people are going to listen or not, they've got to know we're here. They've got to know where we stand. Ultimately, there's only one person that you can control and that's yourself. And you have got to make a determination in your life that you are going to be what God wants you to be. And what God wants you to be is not only a Christian, but a faithful Christian. This morning, I'm not encouraging you to be a patriot of our country. I I think it's great if you can have patriotism. And don't misunderstand me, I love our country. But I love it enough to tell the truth. To encourage righteousness. But what God wants you to do is to be a Christian. You become one by faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing that faith and being baptized. And wouldn't it be great today for you to walk down here and for this audience to see you confess the sweet name of Jesus, to see you baptized for the remission of your sins, more importantly, the rejoicing of the angels in heaven? And if you're a Christian and you look at your life and you say, I know what, I'm wrong before God right now and I've got to make some changes, come forward, we'll pray with you that God will forgive you. Would you come while we stand and say?